So, 1 Samuel chapter 1. Today is Mother's Day, and I read a quote that I wanted to share with you, is that no man is poor who has a godly mother. Amen? Amen. Mothers are such a blessing to us. And I was actually kind of surprised this week when I was preparing my message. I'm on several different social media forums for pastors, and just hearing the, uh, some of the reactions of pastors uh, throughout, uh, throughout this nation, really. They're not necessarily all Assembly of God pastors, but different denominations and everything. And I was surprised that some of them hate what they call the Hallmark holidays, holidays that don't have anything really to do with the church or, or anything to do with uh, Christianity at all. And they said that they wouldn't uh, take God's time to recognize mothers and all that. And I don't want to you know, spend too much time thinking about that. You know, but some of them, they had some good points that they feel like sometimes they're in a no-win situation. If you fail to recognize it, you offend most. If, and if you don't recognize, or if you fail to recognize it, you'll offend most. And if you recognize it, that you'll have one or two that'll be offended. And that's because people carry some legitimate pain with them. They may have had mothers that weren't very good mothers to them. They may be mothers who have recently lost children. They may be mothers that, that this day has a, a lot of memories about and that aren't just that good. So a lot of pastors will try to avoid that. And I never want to um, say that the pain is not legitimate, but um, I feel that the Bible has a lot to say about mothers. And if the Bible has a lot to say about mothers, and I think that's something that we should look at. But the Bible gives us an example in 1 Samuel chapter 1 of a person who would have probably also dreaded Mother's Day. Hannah was one of those people, and we get to learn about him in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Hannah was a woman who lived in the Old Testament, and in the Old Testament Hebrew culture, motherhood was everything to a woman. They based their entire self-image, their entire image and worth in society was based on how many children, this, and particularly sons, that a woman could give her husband. It affected her social standing. It was like almost like you had leprosy if you were not able to produce children. You were just kind of shunned by the society that they were in. You were looked at as being cursed or being under God's judgment if you could not produce children. In some cases, it would even affect the husband and wife relationship because if it got found out that the woman couldn't produce a child, they, a man would have a legal right to divorce her. And then she would be left homeless and on her own to fend for herself. To make it worse in Hannah's case is that she was married to a man named Elkanah, and he was also married to another one, woman. And this woman um, was having all kinds of babies. So it let, let her to be ridiculed even in her own home. So she was unable to produce babies. She has another woman in her house that is producing babies, and that's creating a very uncomfortable situation for her. And imagine that. Just, just stop and imagine all of that just for a moment. You're unable to do the very thing that your culture values so highly. You're unable to produce children. So outside, you go outside of the house, people are looking at you funny. You go to the market, people are looking at you funny. You go to the well to get some water. People are kind of shunning you and, and don't want to be anywhere near you. And then you get to go home and live with little Miss Fertile here who's trying to outpace the Duggars. And, you know, you're not getting any respect from her. You're not getting any respect for your kids. 
And it's just, you're, you're just living under this constant reminder of that there's something missing in your life. And her husband, you know, to his credit, he tries to show her how much he loves her. He gives her double portions. He gives her special recognition, probably to the, uh, probably angering his other wife, which makes it even worse for her. But he, he tries to do all these things to make her feel special. And, but unfortunately, he is still a guy. And unlike, and like most guys, he kind of completely oblivious to her needs. And he, he goes up to her and says, you know, Hannah, come on, aren't I so much better than all these children? And you just kind of look at that and you're just kind of, oh man, you're such a man. You're such a guy. It's like the way wrong thing to say. So motherhood was everything to Hebrew women in the Bible. And it can't be un overemphasized enough of how much pain it would cause when you couldn't have children there. And isn't sometimes motherhood about pain? I mean, the same kind of pain that Hannah felt is the same kind of pain that a mother would tell you is, is all about just being a mother sometimes. There's pain when you're pregnant. There's pain during childbirth. Or so I hear. I think it's exaggerated. What do you think, guys? Oh, okay. Oh, never mind. <laughs> I've actually delivered several children. I know it's not exaggerated. I'm kidding. But there's pain in raising kids. There's pain in leaving the nest someday. And we ask, so we ask ourselves, why women would any of you choose to be a mother? It's because mothers are very special in God's plan. Amen. Women in general, and mothers in particular, have a role in showing us a side of Father God that us men would have a very hard time seeing without them. And that leads us to the big idea today, is that Hannah, is, or the big idea is what made Hannah so special that she got to be a mom to the greatest of the judges. And not only the greatest of the judges, but the first in the line of godly prophets that would not only draw the people of Israel back to pure worship and get them in line spiritually, but would shape an entire nation. A nation that in 100 years would be, become the superpower to the known world at the time. This was Hannah's privilege. So in 1 Samuel chapter 1 here, you see that Elkanah and his family, they all go to the tabernacle as required a few times a year to give offerings, to eat a fellowship meal. And then Hannah decides that she is going to go over by herself to pray. She enters the tabernacle. The head priest, Eli, is standing there, her pastor, watching her pray. And so she's going into this time of prayer. So the first thing that we want to see about Hannah is that she was a woman of vision. In verse 11, it says that she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you would only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will use or give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used upon his head. Let's pray. Father God, we ask, Lord, that we can dig into your word this morning and get a greater understanding of what mothers are to mean to us, both spiritually, physically, in our lives, and in our, our spirit life, Father. Lord God, give us a deeper appreciation of the kind of mothers that, that you honor, Father. And help us to all encourage each other to be like that. We ask this in your name. Amen.
Now, how can we see that woman, that Hannah was a woman of vision from this verse? Well, God's vision for our lives doesn't always come with a blast of trumpets. It doesn't always come through the clouds parting in the sky, through a, a voice or a thunderclap or some huge way that we would say, oh, this is God's plan for my life. Oftentimes, it comes from a deeply felt and personal need, something that we can't explain. And the longer I live and the more interaction that I have with people, I've come to realize that, metaphorically speaking, that everybody has an incomplete part of themselves. You've often heard evangelists say that we all have a God-sized hole inside of us. And that is true to a point. And God has made us that way. He's made us with a few key pieces missing. It's like going to a rummage sale and you see a puzzle that you want to build and you pick up this puzzle and you go to the person and you say, hey, are all the pieces here? Oh yeah, all the pieces are here. So you take it home, you put it together and about 10 of the key pieces are missing, like right in the middle of the picture, they're missing. That's kind of the way that God has built us. And he built us that way because that's the part that he wants to fill, like right in the center of us. And the world, though, will spend billions and billions of dollars to tell you what will fill this hole, that hole that God has put into us. And a lot of people try to fill that hole on their own. They try to use drugs. They try to use alcohol. They try to use possessions. They try to use fame. I mean, we have whole TV shows right now that people are trying to become famous because they want to draw worship onto themselves. They want to be recognized. They want to be famous. They want to just be seen by everybody. And they're trying to fill this hole and, but that hole represents God's plan for our life. And it's a feeling. And sometimes that feeling, that emptiness inside, can be very, very painful, as it was in Hannah's case here. But that pain is really meant to drive you back to God and say, God, what is this about? And God is using Hannah's pain here to bring forth exactly what her people needed for that time. It wasn't even about Hannah. It was about where he needed to bring the nation. There was a lot of spiritual decay during her time. Eli was not a very good high priest at all, and his sons were even worse. They were taking offerings. They were sleeping with women in the temple. They were doing just all kinds of evil, and it was just very indicative of the spiritual condition of the entire nation. They were coming out of the time of the judges where everybody did as they saw fit, one of the key verses in Judges. An awful event had just happened in the nation. A man's concubine was violently raped by a whole town. It caused a, a small civil war within Israel where people were going and, and starting to kill particular people because of what happened. So it's a very dark spiritual time. And nobody really wanted to get at the source of the issue in the nation, though. They wanted to deal with the bad behavior but not go anywhere near the root of the problem. How often does that happen in our society? So God is using Hannah's deep felt need for a son, and he's using it to move her toward prayer. And we say, well, is that all she's going to do is pray? That's all she has to do. We so underestimate the value of prayer in our church. He, get, he, he moves her to boldly and specifically ask for a child who would be a Nazarite and a priest. She boldly proclaims and, and asks for that in prayer. And little did she know what she was really asking for as a replacement for Eli and his sons. Hannah was a woman of tenacity. Think about the situation she's in. She has to be tenacious. 
Her home life is miserable. She's mocked by the other wife. She's disrespected by her children. She's misunderstood by her husband. Her church life isn't much better. Her pastor thinks she's a drunk. In 1 Samuel 1.12, it says that she keeps praying to the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk. I mean, how long had it been since he's seen somebody pray? <laughs> Think about that for a minute. Eli says to her, how long will you keep getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied, but I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. So Hannah stands her ground. She denies drinking. She says, Pastor, no, I'm not drinking. I'm here pouring out my heart. I mean, you're thinking I'm drinking. I mean, how long has it been since you've seen somebody pray? How long has it been since somebody has been before God's altar pouring out their soul? That you, you, you just automatically assume it's an evil purpose. Lord, you know, Eli, this is, what, this is what God has given me. He's given me this, this vision, and it's driving me to prayer. I will have a son. I'm going after God, and I'm not going to let him go until he blesses me. Just like Jacob grabbed that angel in the book of Genesis. He grabs an angel, and he says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Just like Jesus told us about the widow who goes before the judge and asks for justice. He goes, I'm going to keep coming back every day. I'm going to keep knocking on this door. I'm going to keep going after God until he gets what he has placed in my heart. I'm going to go after God. And it isn't about twisting God's arm. It isn't about making him finally move it's about showing faith and tenacity in prayer. God loves tenacity. Now, delay in prayer isn't about getting God to move. We mistaken that. It's like, okay, I got to pray, and I got to pray, and finally God's going to go, oh, fine, I'm going to give it to you. It's not about that at all. Remember the story from Daniel where Daniel committed himself to pray, and he prayed for 21 days straight. Now, that's a prayer warrior. Amen. He prays for 21 days and finally an angel comes and said, you know what? As soon as you bent your knee, God moved. As soon as you humbled yourself before God and you began to seek his face, God answered your prayer. But it took me 21 days to get here to give you the answer. We fail to understand sometimes with our prayer what's going on in the spiritual realm. Number one. There are spiritual forces out there that we are praying against. We don't see them, so sometimes we ignore them. But they're there. I mean, this is one of God's mightiest angels that are coming to Daniel, and it took him 21 days to beat through the spiritual resistance that was over his nation at that time. So it takes a while for God to answer, number one. God's delays are not always God's denials. Other times, it's often that God has to get you to a place where you can be able to accept this blessing. And that is probably what's happening with Hannah here, is he is preparing her to be able to receive this blessing of a son, getting her desperate enough to be able to say, God, if you give me this son, I will then give him back to you. I'm not going to keep him for myself. I'm going to give him back to you. What did Jesus say about new wine and, and wineskins? He said, you can't take new wine and pour it into a wineskin. 
the wineskins that would hold the wine back there, the fermentation would start to happen with a new wine. And if it was an old wineskin that had already been stretched out, the whole thing would just pop, just like a big water balloon. It would pop and everything would spill out. We are like, we are the same way. We may have to pray for something to, for years until God gets that wineskin in our spirit ready to receive all that blessing that he has coming. That's why there is delay sometimes, because God isn't, isn't that he can't move. He has to get you ready to carry the blessing that is coming. But because of her tenacity, Hannah saw her dream realized. She gives birth to Samuel. She does as she has promised. As soon as the boy is weaned, probably three or four years of age in those days, she was, he was given to the temple as a priest. Now imagine that day. She brings little Samuel and places him before Eli and says, Hey, Pastor, remember when you accused me of being drunk? This is what I was praying for right here. This is what I was praying for, and I'm giving him back to God. I'm giving him to you to train to be a priest. So what do we learn from Hannah's life? Is that God has a purpose for your pain, mothers. God will be glorified through your pain if you show some tenacity in it. If you keep running after God with it. Being a parent is painful. But being a mother, even more so, because you are the hearts of the family. So you feel the pain even more than us guys do. But I want to speak specifically to the women here. Whether you have children or not, or whether they are in your home or not, you can still be a mother to a child. We have lost the idea of spiritual motherhood and spiritual fatherhood in the church. We've lost that idea. There are children in this community that I see all the time that are being led down the wrong path. I told a couple of you, I was at Clippers the other day, which is a local grocery store, and I saw a family come in, family of four, and they came in and they both got shopping carts and the little kids got the little kids shopping carts and they're pushing them around. And I was there doing a little bit of shopping and I got all my stuff and they came behind me in a shopping line and the kids and the little kid uh, carts, they're pushing and they had all the hard liquor in their shopping carts, pushing it toward the, the, uh, the cashier. And I know in this culture, especially Wisconsin culture, that's just a normal thing. But I'm, I, it just spoke to me of the need for us to be lights to these children. Amen. I'm not criticizing their parents. Their parents are just living in the way that they know. But they need Jesus too. We have to be willing, especially you mothers, to show the kind of love that is going to draw these children to Jesus. To be that second mother. Or as we used to call it, godparents. You can be a godparent without ever attending the baptism. You can be a godparent without ever attending the dedication. If you just make yourself available to some of these kids, and instead of yelling at them for stepping on your lawn, give them a hug, embrace them, become their friends, and shine the light of Jesus in their lives. Because God has strategically placed you in this community for such a time as this. You're not where you are in life right now by accident. God has seen this from eternity past and planned you to be where you are for such a time as this. 
even being here this morning and hearing this message. I believe that with every fiber of my being. So, as I said, some women would tell you that this day is painful to them. And I don't want to trivialize that. Pain is pain. But I'm telling you, ladies and even men, your pain has a purpose. And maybe you need to seek God this morning and ask him what that purpose is. One of my favorite verses in the Bible deals with pain. It deals with really anything in life, and that's Romans 8.28, that we know that in all things God works for those or works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And if you are here and you are saved, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and he is your Lord and Savior, you are called according to his purpose. He has a mission for you, he has a job for you, and he has a glorious future for you if you just bend your knee to him and make him Lord and Savior once again in your life. Amen? Amen? Let's all rise. Hi, Pastor John here. I hope and pray that you are blessed by listening to the Word of God being preached today at Whitehall Assembly of God in beautiful Whitehall, Wisconsin. If you would like more information about us, you can go to our website at www.whitehallassembly.org. Or if you have a question about the sermon, you can email me at pastorjohnoscar at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and God richly bless you as you continue to grow and serve Him.